Okay, we're going to uh, be uh, back in Genesis this morning, um, in Genesis chapter 4. Uh, and it's good to be here with you guys. I'm glad we could step aside and do something special like this. It means a lot. Um, but as uh, we've been going through Genesis, we've called the study Genesis God and Man, God and Man. We've been looking at how, how Genesis is really, I mean the Bible really as a whole, but I think Genesis in particular perhaps is what's relevant to us from God's perspective. As we see a lot of things through Genesis and the world has a lot of questions and problems with Genesis, I think they forget to take into account that these are the things that God says is relevant to us based on the story he's telling us through the Bible. It's the story of redemption. You know, we're going to see some different names and some different babies being born, but we're only told the ones that are relevant to the story that God's being, uh, telling. You know, uh, we're not told uh, every last little detail that comes up because it's not relevant to us. And I think that that's the Bible is that, you know, God tells us how things come to be, and he tells us how it works, but there's things that we don't know. And I think uh, Pastor Chuck used to always say, you know, if the Bible is silent on something, that he would be silent on something. And I think that that's true. Like, if God doesn't tell us in the Bible, I don't think we really need to know it. You know, we need to be uh, uh, simple concerning evil and, and wise concerning uh, good. But at first we saw a creation at a distance in the beginning that God created the heavens and the earth. It was a very, like, overview, like... Um, distant sort of view of God doing the creating from the outside, being told this picture of what's going on. And then uh, in the chapter 2, creation was up close. We saw God beginning to work uh, more intimately with creation and creating Adam and Eve. Uh, in chapter 3, we saw the fall. We saw the curse. But through that, we also got the promise of God to bring a, a Messiah, a Savior, from the seed of uh, Eve who would crush uh, Satan. And then in the beginning of... Uh, Chapter 4, we saw that that promise was taken in vain, uh, primarily by Cain, uh, by Cain and Abel. You know, Cain was the firstborn, and, and he began to uh, really not take that role seriously. And uh, he decided to do things his own way, um, and it cost his brother's life. And, you know, the, I think the words of the enemy echoed uh, through that field that day that, uh, you know, about sin not bringing death. And, yeah, Adam needed to die right away, but what happened? Their son killed their other son. But today we're going to start out in chapter 4, verse 16, and we're going to get through uh, hopefully verse 26. And the title of today's message is also from one of the last verses we're going to read, and it's from, it says, uh, men began to call on the name of the Lord. Men began to call on the name of the Lord. And, you know, they were looking for a Savior at this point. And I don't think it took very long to do so. You know, Romans 8, 19 through 28 says, For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together and, uh, until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption. You know, we can't wait to go to heaven. We want, you know, oh, I can't wait to go. It's like you're sitting in the DMV and, oh, when are they going to call my number? <laughs> when can I get out of here? Uh, the redemption of our body, for we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. You hear that? That God makes intercession for you and I. That even when we don't know what to pray for, that sometimes I feel like we feel like we have to know what we need to pray for all the time. And I know we all know this verse. But man, God prays for us. God is groaning for us. Man, God, help them. And we know that all things work together for the good. It's interesting that this verse comes after that. To those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. We cherry-picked that verse. It's a good verse. But man, before that, it's saying, oh, we're groaning under the weight of sin. We're groaning under the, the, the fall of man in this fallen world. And we don't even know how to deal with it, how to pray for it. But ah, God knows. God is, is, is praying for us and, and helping us. And I think we could look at uh, Genesis in that sense, 
And despite that all that's happened, all that they've done, Adam, Eve, Cain, and Abel, that God still had a plan. And no matter what they did, his promise wouldn't be deterred, derailed, or canceled. God's promise wasn't going anywhere, no matter what they did. You know, God would bring it about another way, through another son, as we'll see. You know, God would not and could not and will not be stopped by man. Neither our rebellion, our transgression, our doubt, our pride, nothing can stop God. Nothing. You know, the Bible says, what can, what can separate us from the love of God? You know, nothing can. And a couple questions this morning as we get into the study. At what point in our situation or problem do we call on God? How long does it take? How far do we get before we're groaning? Before we're, oh, I don't even know what to ask for anymore. I don't even know how to handle this. How long does that take? How long should it take? Uh, you know, do we believe that he will answer? You know, a lot of this all, ourselves and myself, I know that I try and handle things on my own, that I've got to handle on my own, and I don't. You know, do we believe that God will come through? Maybe that prevents us from asking sometimes that, man, we just have simple unbelief. But Lord, again this morning we ask that you would give us belief. Help us turn you, even now, God, for the things that are weighing us or bothering us or just we don't know how to handle or think about or maybe we've shelved because we're just sick of thinking about it, God. I pray that you would handle those things. God, we thank you that you're praying for those things for us and for those around us and our families and those we love and care about, God. Please uh, answer those prayers and uh, let us see your provision. God, speak to us in your word this morning. Fill us, Holy Spirit. Just uh, deliver us from the evil one and uh, feed us this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's read uh, Genesis 4, 16 through 24. It says, Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod on the east of Eden. And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. And he built a city and called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. To Enoch was born Arad, and Arad begot Mahujael. And Mahujael begot Methushael, and Methushael begot Lamech. You know, that's some good baby names there. <laughs> then Lamech took for himself two wives. The name of one was Ada, and the name of the second was Zillah. And Ada bore Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. And his brother's name was Jubal. And he was the father of all those who play the harp and flute. And as for Zillah, uh, she also bore Tubal-Cain, an instructor of every craftsman in bronze and iron. And the sister of Tubal-Cain was Namah. Then Lamech said to his wives, Adah and Zillah, uh, I'm sorry, I just want to make sure I wasn't too far. Sorry, <laughs> I lost my track. Adah and Zillah, hear my voice. Wives of Lamech, listen to my speech, for I have killed a man for wounding me, even a young man for hurting me. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventy-sevenfold. So you see here, we get into it, things are not perfect anymore. We're following Cain as he left the presence of the Lord. We're following him and we're seeing his descendants. God decides to track out the line of Cain for a little bit before we get back to the direction that God wanted things to go in. And I think that that's interesting. Um, you know, we see that the first murder and death happened as a result of sin. Uh, but now that things just begin to get messed up further and further down the line. And you know, it was Cain who went out from the presence of the Lord. Um, in the last study, we were looking at what happened with Cain and how it really it focused on Cain and not Abel. You realize that God's focusing the scripture on the guy who was messed up and not on the guy who did things the way God wanted to. And God gives him a little spotlight and he gets uh, you know, a good picture there. But God focuses on the bad example here. And I think that with Cain, it started in his heart way before he killed his brother. He had left the presence of the Lord in the beginning when he decided to bring his own offering instead of God's prescribed offering. And it resulted in the loss of his blessing and the firstborn now being under a curse. And God told him, hey, you're going to wander now. And, uh, and it was Cain who left. It was Cain who left. He was unrepe he, unrepentant, unregenerated, and now he was lost. He was out wandering and doing Cain's thing completely. Um, but he was in the land of Nod, and that word Nod uh, actually means wandering. And I wonder if we've ever been citizens of the land of Nod. If uh, maybe it was probably before you knew God, you're in the land of Nod. You know, it sounds like 
some movie. They're in the land of Nod. <laughs> you know, I think that's why we have this fascination with the Lord of the Rings because there's this this missing world that we that we don't get to see that's before the flood. But um, you know, maybe it was before we knew God. Maybe it was after we knew God in a state of backsliding on a time. But man, we just totally feel lost if we don't sense God's presence. But um, you know, I think this seems to be a theme in the Bible of wandering in the wilderness. And I don't think that that's ever what God intended. I know it's what, not what God intended for Cain. It's not what God intended for the Israelites. And yet we see that, and we see God paying attention to that and bringing attention to that in the Scripture. And I think that this wandering in the wilderness is a real far cry from walking with God in the garden. God intended for us to walk with Him in the garden. And what happens when we do our own thing? We end up wandering from Him in the barren wilderness. And I think that the wilderness is okay if it's God who leads you there, it's a good thing to be in the wilderness when God leads you there. Moses was led there. The, uh, you know, the Israelites were led to the wilderness to get away from the Egyptians. They just weren't supposed to stay there. John the Baptist went out in the wilderness, and that's where his ministry was. Jesus was brought out in the wilderness. We see picture after picture of guys who are brought out into the wilderness. And I think that that's a prerequisite for the before the real life of ministry begins. I don't mean the real vocation of ministry. I mean the real life of ministry. When your life goes out and starts becoming a ministry. Jesus was always God, and he was never not ministering to people, I don't think, in the 30 years before his public ministry. But he went out in the wilderness, and he was tempted and tried. And when God brought him through, that's when he began to go out and do that short-lived ministry that's impacted us way greater than longer ministries. But wandering in the wilderness is not what God has for you. It's always, I think, what we have for ourselves. You know, when we're depressed, we, we want to be alone. We want to go out and be by ourselves and get away from everybody. We go out in dark places. And you see those bumper stickers. Not all those who wander are lost. <laughs> yeah, you know exactly where you are. You're in the wilderness, and you want it that way. That's nothing to be proud of. You know, you know that's where we're at sometimes, you know, myself included. I think, you know, do we not think that redemption is good enough for us? That we must banish ourselves to a life of wandering, to a life of being a nomad and not being connected to anyone? I, I don't think that's what God has for us. I know it's not. But, you know, getting back to the city of Nod, you know, did it exist already? Was it a city yet? You know, we're not told. But, again, I think that because this was written down post facto, the way it's kind of read is, well, this is how the city started. It wasn't the city Nod there. Cain went out and eventually he called it Nod because that's the wilderness. That's where he wandered. That's where, I'm sorry, that's not the city, but that's the area where he went. Uh, he found Enoch, the city after his son, in a little bit. But even, not, uh, even though we're, we're not told the very son and daughter of Eve, but again, we're just told those who are relevant to the story that God is telling. And I think that there's no need for extraneous characters. You know, sometimes you watch a movie or a TV show and they like spend all this time expositing on a certain character, then the character's gone. You're like, what was the point of that? <laughs> you know, so, there's so many people in the TV shows, I, I have a hard time remembering their, you know, TV show name. I remember their actor name. I'm like, who is that guy who did that thing that time? It's like, I can't keep track of the handful of characters in the show, let alone extraneous ones. And I think God knows that, you know? I think people don't read the Bible already, but imagine if God began to put in details about every extraneous person in the family tree. I think that, man, we would be even more lost than we were going through the scriptures. And it's stuff that we don't really need to know. I mean, you don't need all the, need the whole details. You just need the important ones um, to give you the best picture. But I think that this is, I know that this is an awful place to be, away from the presence of God. Uh, and I think we all know that what that was like. That's why we came to know the Lord. If we didn't know what it was like to be away from the presence of the Lord, maybe we might not have ever come to him. I don't know what your story is, but I think that that's, that was integral in my story. But believer, I don't know that you can actually go from the presence of the Lord anymore. You know, Cain wasn't repentant. Cain was doing Cain's thing, and that's why he's in the presence of the Lord. I think you and I, like Jonah, can try and run away from God, but God was still there. The storm was there. The fish was there. God was still working. It's just Jonah didn't want to acknowledge it. You know, Psalm 139, 7 through 18 says, Where can I go from your spirit, or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If, my, if I make my bed in hell, the psalmist says, Behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, Surely darkness shall fall on me, 
Even the night shall be light about me. Even if I want to be dark and depressed, God, your light is going to break through. Indeed, uh, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness, sorry, darkness and the light are both alike to you, for you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they, are all, they all were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. David's like, even if I want to go to the mountain, even if I want to go down to hell, you're there. You made me. You knew me before I was born. My days were made for me. I'm not made for my days. You made the days for me, God. You know the days. You know me. You made me. How could I ever go from your presence? How could I ever run away from you? How could I ever not be in your thoughts? You know, I think about our kids, and no matter what happens, they're always going to be my kids. And, and I'm a very imperfect father, let alone God. He's not going to let you go from his presence or his kid. He's going to pursue you, even if you can't see him, and he's just kind of hiding behind the tree. You know, keeping an eye on you, waiting for you to turn around. You can't be out of his presence. But with Cain, you know, he was off doing his own thing, and, and people have a problem. Well, where does Cain's wife come from? They make this big deal of it. Well, it's simple. It was his sister. Who else would it be? You know, Adam and Eve, they had kids. Where's he getting a wife? Well, it's not a monkey or a giraffe. It's got to be a sister. You know, that sounds weird to us now. We don't like to think about that now, because obviously it's messed up now. But it wasn't messed up then. What other option was there? People genetically were better. The, you know, people were living longer. The world was better. There was no one else. Not a big deal. You know, who else are you going to marry? Now you've got plenty of choices. Don't marry your sister. Plus it's against the law and it's gross. <laughs> and God said, don't do it after. <laughs> but Enoch is born. And again, we're not told all their kids. We're just told, I think, the important ones in the story, the ones of the promised lineage. Um, and, uh, you know, Cain builds a city at this point. You know, I don't think this was the empty city. If you've seen Inception and Limbo, they go down and him and his wife build this big empty city. It's just them and their dream state. That's not, I don't think that's how Cain worked. I think it's like Cain began to build a city and get more and more kids and they just populated the city and it grew and grew. And again, you know, I think size is relative. It's not New York City, guys. <laughs> you know, it's one of the first cities. It's Probably four houses, you know. <laughs> this is my city, Enoch, my boy, you know. Like, yeah, this is what it is. You know, I met, you know, us growing up around New York City, and then, I don't know, you guys, but I remember my first time going to another city, and I'm like, this is it? <laughs> I can, like, see around it when I leave a little bit. Like, like what? <laughs> you know, but it's like, it's still a city. Yeah, exactly. It's still a city. And it's, it's relative, you know. But God said, and... Chapter 1, verse 28, uh, basically, fill the earth. He said, fill the earth. You know, don't start settling too close to each other just yet. There's plenty of room. Go down the street a little bit. Have a couple acres. You don't need to be living on top of each other in apartment 2G. You know, just <laughs> keep going a little bit. Um, I think even people now are like, earth's filling up. I'm like, I've, I've never been to the Great Plains, but I've seen pictures of the Great Plains. There's room. <laughs> There's room. You don't need to live on top of each other. I don't care. There's room. Not overpopulated. But uh, we have Cain's children, his children's children, his nieces, nephews, cousins, etc. You know, again, long lives, better living conditions, better food, all that stuff. You know, people are living hundreds of years. Uh, but sincerely, what else are they going to do? There's no Lowe's Theater. There's no mall. There's no Amazon. You're going to make kids. You're going to make kids. That's what you're going to do. That's, you know, it doesn't take, a, doesn't take a brain surgeon to figure out. Uh, how you get into a city in a couple of years with nothing else to do. But uh, Enoch, his firstborn, and again, uh, I don't know how we get the names because his name is Hanoke, or Hanoke, and I don't know how we get to Enoch from that, but okay. Um, firstborn, eldest, and his name means dedicated. His name means dedicated. I wonder for a sense if things began to change for Cain, or if he was still thinking that even though God kind of cursed him and he did this thing that Maybe the birthright was still with them, and, you know, that this son would be dedicated. I don't know what he was dedicating not to. I don't know if he was dedicated to Cain's new life and Cain's new start. He's got a new city to live in now, even though he's not supposed to be living in a city, but he is. Um, you know, he was flipping out about being a wanderer and a bum the rest of his life before God, and then God marked him and said, don't worry about it. 
But now he's having kids, he's starting cities. You know, is he shunning God's judgment on his life? Is he trying to get away from the consequences of God? Is he trying to be his own man again? And uh, dedicating this son to this new life that he has without God? Or, you know, I think was God being gracious? You know, God knew this was all going on, you know. He just because he's not from the presence of, in the presence of God doesn't mean that God doesn't know what he's doing. You guys need a light. Just turn on. Let me show this one. Good. But, uh, you know, what was he dedicated to? I think that, you know, again, there's restoration, but when one falls from a certain height of leadership, so to speak, you know, height, obviously, leader, not supposed to be in a height, I mean, that's why he fell in the first place, but too many things get broken. You know, think about a pro athlete getting a real serious injury. You know, their career is ended. You know, they might still get the Wheaties contract, they might still have the Nike shoes, um, and maybe they're a sportscaster, but they're never going to be on the field again. And I think that for certain levels in leadership, when the fall is great enough, there's restoration, but you're never, you know, you're never on the field as a star again, so to speak. Um, but if the fall wasn't from that high, think of it this, guy, this way, guys. If there's a fall in your life and it wasn't from that high, it's just a bump in the road. And even if it was, it's still a bump in the road for you in the Lord. Just because it's going to play out differently in life, it doesn't mean that you're not going to be restored. You know, because Proverbs 24, 16 says, For a righteous man may fall seven times, and rise again, but the wicked shall fall by calamity. That God wants us to keep getting up. And we know this verse, but I think we need to keep hearing it. Keep getting up. You're righteous. The righteous is the guy who gets up. The unrighteous guy is the guy who does not get up. Or gets up in his own way. And I think, sadly, uh, we see some fruit of this from Cain's life in the next few verses. I don't think he was getting back on the right track. You know, maybe he was. I hope he was. But truly, I think, without the Lord, people's roots don't change. Cain... It's not going to not be Cain anymore, fleshly Cain, without God doing the work. You know, his circumstances changed. He wasn't, you know, just outside the garden with his brother and his family. He was out in the land of Nod, making cities. You know, but Cain was Cain everywhere we went. Everywhere he went. I think sometimes we run away from things. We try and move or go somewhere else to try and reinvent ourselves, but eventually it catches up with us because we never left the real problem. Us. Our sin that dwells within us. Um, and the only way to do that is to go back into the presence of the Lord. You know, Cain, his name means possession. I don't want to get too into the names, but I think it's interesting here. Enoch means dedicated. Arad means fleet, or in the sense of being a fugitive, you're a fleeting. Mahujael means smitten of God, kind of hit of God. Uh, Methushael, you know. Uh, who is of God, and Lamech means powerful. And I think that this is sort of the lineage of Cain and the direction of Cain's life and his family's life. Cain was a possession given by God. He was, in a sense, a promised son, but, um, you know, he began dedicating himself to his own thing. He was a fugitive. He was hit by God. God cursed him. Um, in fact, Cain cursed himself, but God put a mark on him and, and cast him out. Uh, and then, who is of God? You know, we're out of the presence of God. Who's of God anymore? Now Lamech thinks he's the most powerful guy. And they're not totally sure what his name means, but perhaps it's powerful. And I think on one hand, like God, honoring Ishmael, Abraham's son of the flesh, God still made him into a great nation, still carried out the promise that God gave Abraham to have a great nation through Ishmael, but it wasn't the nation of the Messiah. You know, God still carried out that promise in a way to Ishmael. It wasn't Ishmael's fault he was born. But the line of Cain, in a sense, spells out the coming Messiah, but I think it's got a twist in it and a perversion in it. It's not the picture God intended. And I think that's why God goes down this line and says, hey, look, Cain's still trying to do it in his own way. Cain had a promise on his life, but because that promise was squandered by murdering his brother and Cain's attitude towards me, really, in, in worship, it's never going to be what I intended it to be. It's never going to be. It's always going to be a bad picture until something gets turned around. And I think a lot of people claim Christianity or claim divine inspiration. I know this, in fact. They use scripture. People in pop culture, musicians, you know, it's use musician lightly in modern pop culture. But teachers, you know, the people that they show a, a life that they talk about God, they talk about God's provision, you know, maybe they even claim they're inspired by God and go, really? I don't think so. Uh, you know, people in pop culture. Um, but their life is not what God truly intended. Their life is not a picture. It's not a right picture. It's become a Cain picture. This, yeah, maybe God had had a plan for you, but you've used it for yourself. Um, you know, they've had real physical gifts and talents, but they use them anything 
for anything but God. You think about artists in the world, famous or gifted people or talented people um, who write great music, do great things, but you hear their lyrics and they're lost. You see the direction of their life and it's destroyed and it's uh, under the influence of other things and they influence others to do what? Keep wandering in the land of Nod. But how they could have been used by God, and I think more than that, how they were intended by God for a better picture, a better purpose, ordained by God. Some of these great musicians, you go, or you hear about their stories and how the backgrounds they come out of, like, man, I bet you God could have used you as a worship leader, but now Satan's using you as a worship leader. This gift that was given to you, at least physically, you know, I'm not saying that they've got the spiritual gift of that, obviously they don't know the Lord, but they've got these physical talents that God maybe intended to use. And, you know, God doesn't always work that way, but take the step to walk generally with me. They had this, and now they've gone their own way, they've done their own thing, they've worshipped their own things, and they're being used for anything but God. And yet God's plan, in, in a sense, is still on their life. It still shows that God had a purpose for them. It still shows that God is amazing and He gives these good gifts, but it brings glory to God in a totally different way. Um, you know, 2 Timothy 2, 15-21 says, be diligent to present yourself to prove to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, but shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase the more ungodliness, and their message will spread like cancer. Emmaus and Philetus are of this sort, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already passed, and they have overthrown the faith of some. Nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows who are his, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some of honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. That if you're a filthy vessel, if you're a, a garbage can or a toilet, it's because you refuse to allow yourself to be cleaned up by God. That if your life is a vessel, because God's made all our lives vessels, if we're allowing garbage to be in it, if we're allowing our life to be a vessel of garbage, that's our fault. God didn't make you a toilet. God wanted to make you a beautiful vase, a beautiful container. You know, you open the fridge, oh, that, that Tupperware, that Tupperware is ugly, but it's beautiful because it's got my dinner in it. You know, like, sincerely, God wants the best for us, and he's made us all containers, but it's up to us if we want to allow him to carry that out in our lives. We must... Cleanse ourselves from the latter. And how do we do that? But with the blood of Jesus. It's going to take personal preparation. And preparation, personal preparation comes through him, but it's got to be done in God's way. It can't be done in our way. We can't clean up our lives in our way. We can't do our lives our way and expect God's message to come clearly through that or God's purpose or God's best in our life to come through that. You know, again, our life will always be used by him, reveal a picture of him, you know, even complete mistakes reveal the truth. You know, all that that was totally wrong, so it must be this. And we should learn from bad examples, but let's not be bad examples. Do we want to be the bad example, or do we want to be the good example? You know, Abel did everything right, and the first part of this chapter doesn't really even focus on him. It focuses on Cain, the one who, despite everything being in his favor, went his own way. You know, God did not intend this life for Cain and his children. I think that's why God continues to follow it out here, because he's like, this is not what I intended for them. I'm not, I didn't want to write them off. I didn't want to write them off when Cain uh, killed his brother, but he wrote himself off. You know, if, uh, Philippians 3, 16-21, Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind, brethren. Join in my following my example, and note those who so walk, as you have us for a pattern, Paul says, for many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you, even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things, for our citizenship is in heaven, for which we also eagerly await the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working of which he is able to subdue all things to himself. In Hebrews 3.12, says, Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief, departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ, if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. 
For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Cain refused to believe God, and he couldn't enter in. He couldn't continue. Be conformed to belief. Do not let unbelief form any part of you. Don't be marked like Cain. Verse 19. You see, one of Cain's great, 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 great grandsons here, and Cain was probably still alive. You know, they live longer and they overlap, as we'll see in some of the other genealogies. But it says Lamech, this guy, powerful guy, took for himself two wives. Was he the first guy to do this? Do you look around and go, hey, no one else has two. <laughs> Ooh, I'm going to take two. This is a great idea. Why didn't anyone think of this one before? Uh, I'm so modern. I'm so progressive. <laughs> so enlightened. So millennial. Exactly. Two babes and one little wife. Like, hey, there's two, so much of me, i got to have two girls. You know, it sounds funny, but really, like Solomon says, there's nothing new under the sun. If you think it, you feel it, you want it, you're not the first one around the block to do it. Sin is old. It's old. It's the first thing we really kind of got, got a grip on. It's not new. It's not the latest achievement of the human race, guys. It's about the only thing I think we've ever gotten right. And it's doing the wrong thing. The only thing I ever do right is the wrong thing. I know exactly how to do the wrong thing. It's when it comes to doing the right thing, I go, I've got no idea how to do this. Give me wisdom, Lord. But come to sin? Oh, yeah, I'll teach you how to do it. I'll write a book. And even, even uh, Paul says that. You know, I will to do the right thing, but within me, nothing good dwells, and I can't find out how to do it within myself. Who's going to help me in this body of sin and death? But thank God for Jesus. Because he's the one who lived out this life. He didn't sin at all. and didn't need to be taught how to live righteously. He, he was righteous. One of his first wife, Ada, it means pleasure or ornament. And I think this is the first trophy wife. You know, she was nice to look at, but maybe not so much conversationalist. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah don't open your mouth. That's okay. <laughs> oh, that's good. You know, like sometimes you see, like, supermodels or people on TV, and then they express their opinion, and you go, oh, my goodness, <laughs> you're ugly. <laughs> you know, and Zilla means shade. Perhaps she had really long hair. You know, maybe this was his side chick, and then he decided to marry her. You know, that seems to be the thing now. It's like, side chicks. Like, you couldn't get away with that. You still can't get away with it. But now it's like, that's like the norm. Um, you know, but maybe it's the one he finds rest. Like, I can talk to you. <laughs> yeah, that's what he is. I don't know. But First Peter 3, 1 through 6. I think my wife's neither of those. She's beautiful and a conversationalist. <laughs> Sometimes I'm not a conversationalist. <laughs> Uh, likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if, uh, if any obey not the word, if your husband's a jerk and doesn't obey the word, they also may be without the word, be won by the conversation of the wives. While they behold your chaste conversation, coupled with fear, whose adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of plating the hair, and wearing of gold, and putting on of apparel, like these girls, but let it be the hidden woman of the heart, and that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God, of great price. For after this manner in the old time, the holy women also, who trusted in God, adorned themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands, even in the Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, as long as you do well, and are not afraid of any amazement. Like God says, hey, be godly, girls. Be godly. It's okay to be beautiful, but primarily seek godliness. It's far more beautiful and really, it's not going to get you into long-lasting relationship trouble. If you're godly, you'll find your way out of that bad relationship. You'll find your way into a good relationship. If you're godly, you're not going to get yourself into trouble. Godliness never got anyone into real trouble. At least, maybe you went to jail, but that's not real trouble for being good. But they have these kids uh, named Jabel and Jubal. And I think of Cain and Abel, how they were brothers. And Cain was born and said, and Abel is brother. And they had this similarity going. But maybe these guys were twins. I don't know. I didn't do the, the whole research on it. But you name one guy Jabel and the other guy Jubal, there's probably something going on there. You know, my brother's Thomas and I'm Timothy, but I don't think it's the same here. 
you know, Jay will mean stream of water. Uh, he was the first uh, nomad. He, he had livestock. He was the first cowboy. Um, but the curse Cain brought on himself being, was being carried out on his descendants. That this guy, Jabel, becomes a nomad, and that was really part of the curse on, on Cain, that he had to be, live this nomadic lifestyle away from people, out in the you know, field wandering, doing his own thing. There's still nomadic people today, you know. People who live in their RVs, and while it's cool to kind of watch here and there, you really kind of think about it, and you go, man, what are you running from? Jubal means stream. He's not stream of water. He's just stream. You know, were these guys twins? Was Jabel the first guy out? Uh, maybe this guy was just a stream. You know, he's a musician. You know, you know the type. He's just a stream of emotion. You know, <laughs> he's a musician, maybe. I don't know. That's what it says. Um, but Tubal Cain, this guy sounds like a disease. I wouldn't want to be named Tubal Cain. Oh, I got a bad case of Tubal Cain. <laughs> you know, we got to remove that Tubal Cain. Um, uh, you know, but do you really want to be named after Cain? Out of all the names in the world, you guys had to name me after Cain, <laughs> sincerely. You know, I think there's certain historical people you do not want to be named after. I think we can think of people that, no, nope, you probably don't want to be named Osama. <laughs> you know, oh, all right, I'll stop there. But, uh, you know, it says that thou will be brought of Cain. That his parents didn't learn anything about what went wrong in Cain's life what's going wrong in their society. In fact, they said, carry on Cain's great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather's legacy. Carry it on, Tubal Cain. Keep going, Cain. Keep doing your thing, Cain. This is good. We've got it all figured out. We don't need God. This guy uh, smelts bronze and iron. Um, but I think that that's amazing, you know, how smart they were. Like, no one else is a blacksmith. You come out. What am I going to do today? Somehow you get metal out of the ground. Somehow you figure out that if you heat it really hot and hit it, you can turn it into things and you start making stuff. Like, that's pretty awesome. I think people were smarter back then. Um, but seriously, you know, invent a musical instrument. You know, I think of like uh, some of the guys we know, are, you know, they would take like a suitcase and all of a sudden it's a drum or they would just make instruments out of everything. Um, or how to properly raise an animal. You know, I think people were smarter then, but I think they also had a lot more time in their hands. But also they didn't have anyone telling them that they couldn't do these things. I think today we need to be a lot more like that in a sense. You know, God has given us physical, mental, and spiritual gifts and talents and abilities, and we can learn how to use them. Uh, don't look around and think that you'll never be like someone else. You know, oh, I'll never be like them. I'll never be like them. And you're right. You will never be them. But you might be like them, and even if you're not, they'll never be you. They'll never be like you, so to speak. Don't just go back to being a, a vegetable. Hey, you got a desire to do do something, learn how to do something, start learning how to do it, you know? Who says you can't? Especially now in the days of the internet, YouTube, you can learn how to do anything you want in 15 minutes and claim to be a, 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 you know, an armchair keyboard commando, so to speak. But, but sincerely, be the you that God died for and rose again for you to be. You don't need to be stuck doing your same old thing anymore. You can be the person God's always intended you to be. And whether that has traces of who you were created to be in the beginning, it's okay, as long as spiritually, you know, it's like maybe you're a kid, you enjoy doing something, and then you got saved, and you, and you cast everything away because you weren't sure what was good and what was bad. And as you begin to walk with God, He begins to allow you to bring these things back into your life because that's kind of who He made you to be, and you're not doing it in an unrighteous way anymore, using it for His glory. Be that way. And it's interesting that his, uh, they name his sister here, and her, and her name is Nama. And it reminds me of Pam sings that song, Mention of Your Name. The mention of your name. <laughs> you know, that's this, this girl here. I love you, Pam, if you ever hear this. <laughs> but it means loveliness. And again, I think the society is already caught up in the outward beauty of women, that every time a girl comes out of the womb, they go, let's name her something, you know, whatever. That's outwardly beautiful. You know, a society was was caught up in the outward beauty of a woman. And think about all the trouble that happened because Adam got caught up in the beauty of a woman for an afternoon. It's like we're still still dealing with that. So ladies, <laughs> you be careful, right? Look where that got us. Men, you too, be careful. But yes, women can be beautiful. It's a picture of God that it should be. But let it not be the main focus of either our lives, men, seeking after the beauty of a woman, or your lives, women, seeking to be an object of beauty. But 23, you know, oh boy, 
Lamech is giving a speech here to his wives. Can you guys picture this? <laughs> you know, I picture, if you haven't seen Fiddler on the Roof, watch it, but he's like, sure, you know, and it turns into this giant musical. It's like, <laughs> you know, Lamech comes, hear my voice, wives of Lamech. <laughs> you know, speaking in third person, like he's this king speaking to his prize. Oh, wives of Lamech? You're Lamech, you know? Oh, wives of Tim? You know, like, imagine I came home, oh, wives of Tim. Hear, hear my voice. He'd be like, what is wrong with you? Yeah. Did you get into the medicine cabinet? <laughs> yeah. Maybe you did, I don't know. But I think, you know, don't us guys love to brag to our wives sometimes? You know, I said to Ashley recently, I feel like a little kid talking to you excitedly about things that sillyly excite me, the silly little boy things. Kind of like a little kid, like, Mom, watch me jump, watch me jump, you know, and, like, and she's like, oh, that's nice, that's nice, yeah, yeah, cool. I'm sorry. But what does he say? You know, what does Lamech say in this little speech to his wives? He says, one, I've killed a man, a young man, for hurting me. Comes home. I've killed a man, actually, a young man, for hurting me. Uh, you'd be a little worried, I hope. And then, too, he says he calls up Cain, the judgment on Cain, he says, even more for himself, the, the, the protection on Cain. You know, number one, a slain man to his bruising. I think that this can mean a couple things here. Uh, maybe he killed a man for barely touching him. Like, how tough is uh, Lamech that this little guy does something to the little Lamech and they deserve death. You cut me off in traffic, you deserve death. Because I am great, I drive my BMW and I'm Lamech. Number two, maybe he was getting revenge on someone, and it was duly justified. He thought it was duly justified to bring escalation forth. Maybe this guy robbed him of business. Says, you're not cheating me. I'm going to kill you. Maybe that's the way it was. Maybe he was just braggadocious, and he didn't even kill anyone. But I think he did. I think that he was proud of being a bully. He was proud of being the guy who could beat up a little kid and kill a little kid for getting in his way, and... This little kid punched him, so to speak, and Lamech got a bruise on his arm, and so Lamech killed him. But this man, this young man that he killed, he would have been family at some point. Even this far back, people might say, oh, we're all the human family, we're all the human race. But it didn't really matter. They said that, they didn't believe it, and they didn't live like it. As believers, we're all family. Doesn't matter if you know the person or you don't know the person. They're another Christian. We're not afraid. They hurt us a little bit. We're not to slander them. We're to build them up. We're to love them because they're our brother or our sister. Even if we're removed by a couple of states or a couple of churches or a couple of doctrinal ideas. And the second part he says talks about Cain being avenged sevenfold. He misses the point of what God was doing on the judgment of God. You know, it was God's limitation of God's own judgment on Cain. That people would not carry out further capital punishment on Cain that God was not willing to carry out on Cain himself. He said, don't worry Cain, I'm not going to allow anyone to kill you because I'm going to threaten them with seven times punishment on them because I myself have not killed you. I've given you mercy. I'd rather be merciful than bring judgment on you, Cain. So don't worry about anyone else. But this guy, Lamech, says... Cain was so great, so great that if anyone hurt him, they, the judgment would be brought on them sevenfold. He sees it from fleshly eyes. He doesn't think that it realizes that it's judgment. And it's God's protection on him. But he says, if Cain was so great, I'm 77 times greater. If someone's going to be brought back on Cain, well, I'm Lamech. I'm the great, powerful Lamech. I'm his great, 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 great grandson. Well, how much more should you not touch me and be judgment be brought against you? He was bringing out this whole declaration, I think, to everyone. This wasn't just to his wives. I think he was the first megalomaniac. He was the little King, Kim Jong-un of the fourth millennia B.C. You know, I'm going to nuke you. You deserve it. I'm the king. I'm bullshit me. You know, was it a threat? Was he announcing to the city, don't mess with me. I'm the king of the city. Don't mess with me. I think he was like a little bit cannon from alternate 1985. That he was living his own fantasies. But he's really just washed up on the inside. And for all that, Lamech, all of this, this is where the last time we hear about him. This is where God ends the story. And I think, good job, Lamech. You cemented yourself in the Bible as one of the biggest biblical jerks of history. 
You did a good job. <laughs> Great job. Let's do the last couple of verses here as we close out. I think that's, that's all we're going to make for ourselves at the end of our days if it's without God. That our story is going to end and people, if they ever do read our story, and they probably won't, they're going to go, that's it. Man, that was nothing. Think about all the people who have died in their passions, even in the 20th century, and even the movie stars have died. And you go, that's it? For what? That's all you did? It's a couple of movies? It's cool, but man, I'm sad. I know that grieves God. Verse 25 says, And Adam, uh, Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and named him Seth. For God has appointed another seed for me instead of Abel, whom Cain killed. And as for Seth, to him also a son was born, and he named him Enoch. And then men began to call on the name of the Lord. And Adam and Eve picked up where they left off. They lost both sons that were told of. You know, we don't know that they had other kids at some point, but, you know, obviously they had daughters. Cain had a wife. But they lost their first sons, and they were the first sons of promise. And it was the tragic consequence of their sin why they lost their kids, and now they have to live with that. They had to live with that. You know, but I think the good picture here is that they go on. They don't just relegate themselves to, uh, that's it, God's promise is over, we ruined it, there's nothing left. They still trust in God's promise. You know, I think like Abraham and Sarah, they didn't know how God was going to do it, but God did it. I think some would give up at this point. They would be too hurt to trust God, again, for another promised son, so to speak. And maybe it's not a promised son in your life and my life. Maybe it's something else that God has promised you or me, or even just a generic Bible, you know, I say generic lightly, but uh, a Bible promise that, man, God wants you to trust him. Don't give up. God's got an answer. If God promised it. God promised it. God says what he means, and he means what he says, and he does what he says. He's not changing, guys. If he promised you something, he promised it going to happen. Don't, don't give up. But God gave him Seth, and his name means compensation. And she, and Adam and Eve even say here that God was restoring to them what was stolen from them. Man, to know that. That God is restoring to you something that was stolen from you. Even if it's somehow related to some fruit, bad fruit of consequence of sin in your life, that God still wants to restore to you. Why? Because you're his child. Because he loves you. Even greater than that, he promised it. It doesn't matter what we've done. He promised it. And God is going to make good on that promise. You know, I think of my firstborn, Mia. That she's not my first child. You know, that in all, uh, all the bitterness, her name is bitterness turned to God's grace. That's bitterness turned to God's grace in my life. I know my wife's life as well. That God would give me her and two more special children after all that I did in my life, after losing a child, giving up a child, murdering a child in abortion before I knew the Lord. That's not compensation for me. I didn't do anything to deserve these kids. If anything, the compensation should be the death penalty on me, and that over and over. That's the dispensation of grace. God owed me nothing, right, Jacob? And he gave me the most wonderful riches I could never even ask for more than I could ask for in my children, in my family. And I think that as we go from here, we continue down the line of those that are important to the fulfilling of God's promise to Adam and Eve for the Savior to come. We saw the wrong direction. God had a plan for Cain and Abel, but it just went totally wrong. But God said, that's not the end of the road. That's not the end of the road. We're going to go back and we're going to go the right way. Seth has a son named Enosh, uh, means son of Seth. <laughs> hey, uh, what am I going to name you? Son of Tim. <laughs> that's, I mean, not everyone's creative, and that's okay. But I think here that Jesus loved being called the son of man. And I think here, as God begins to work this picture through, through Seth and the line of Seth, that he's given little hints. God loves being the son of man. God loves being involved in the human story. And that man has a fresh start down the road of God's promise again, in the way of the Messiah. It comes through his way, not Cain's way, certainly not Lamech's way, but God's way. And what is the result of this continued outpouring of God, this continued renewed devotion 
by God. No one else. They didn't have to have kids. God gave them another kid to fulfill God's word. God wanted to fulfill it. They weren't doing it in their own strength. You see that in Cain's story. Obviously, the righteous son, Abel, was killed, so there's no one else now. God says, no, no, no. I have a passion for this. I have a desire to fulfill this promise to you, this word to you. I'm going to do it. And what happens from that? People begin to call on the name of God, the name of Yahweh. The fruit of that is that people call on God. God's promise being fulfilled by God leads people to call on God. They're lost in their sin. They're stuck in their way. There's no hope. And so God says, I want to fulfill my promise to you. You don't have to fulfill it. And there's only one way that begins to happen, and that's when God does what only God can do. When God begins to work the miracles that he promised he would do, people turn to God. And I don't mean turn to God for miracle's sake, but I mean when God begins to do any miracle in our life, anything God does in our life is a miracle because it's God doing it. And so people who knew it could only happen if God saw it through. Adam and Eve knew it was only going to happen if God saw it through. Cain's side didn't know that. But people are going to call out to God. They will call out to God at some point in their life, hopefully. If not, God's calling to them. But sometimes I think it takes a long time. Sometimes it takes quite a lot of hurt. Quite a lot of tubal came. But it has to come about through God's promise, the way God prescribed. We cannot manufacture revival. I think, scratch that, we cannot... We can manufacture revival. We can build the tent. We can get the concert. We can do the flashy lights. We can call out all the young people. But then it dies away because it's of ourselves. It's just revival. It's, oh, he's got a heartbeat, but it's because you're giving him chest compressions. We cannot manufacture resurrection because that's something that only God can do. God's the one who brings new life in you and new life in me. And if you've got that new life, God did it. Don't think about how you've manufactured how you can keep it up. He's the one who's going to give you life. He's the one who's allowed a life to continue. Just allow him to continue it. You know, the, uh, I'm not going to read it because we're way out of time, but look at Genesis 15 later. And uh, the emphasis on verse 8, I'm going to read real quick. Genesis 15. Verse 8 says, This is God making a covenant with Abraham about everything that's going to happen, and Abraham's wondering how it's going to happen. And he says, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? And God begins to cut the covenant with Abraham, and we see Abraham fall asleep during the whole process. How am I going to know what's going to happen? Just read the chapters quick. But there's only one who brings life back from the dead, as we close here. There's only one who breathes life into dry bones, into the dirt, will make something for nothing. And God will do it. God will do it. When we look to him and to him alone to do it, and I think we need to trust him today, while it's still today, to carry out those promises in our life. We don't want to end up like Cain. We don't want to end up like Abraham and, and having Ishmael. I think more than that, don't let the sun go down in today without allowing him to work out that promise between him and you in your life. There's something that, that he's promised you or said to you, and you've kind of let go by the wayside or left the presence of God in his promise. Go back to that. Go back to that. And I'm not saying it's going to be fulfilled today and Go there and it's you know, all going to be hunky-dory, but go back to that. We see here in Genesis, I think that there really is a contrast between God and man. We see all that man is capable of, but we also see what God is capable of. And the difference is, is infinite. And God is, uh, as we 